Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Doghouse, your break room to talk Mississippi State Bulldog sports here on the Believe Podcast Network. It's a morning edition of the Doghouse here as a big week begins for Mississippi State. On Duty Nibble Field, it's time to start celebrating a new season as well as last season's national championship. In Humphrey Coliseum, there's pressure to see if the regular season is all the season that Ben Howland's Bulldogs will have. And let's uh, have a little celebration from over the weekend as well for Doug Novak's Lady Bulldogs, who pulled off a victory over Ole Miss with a seven-player, and by halftime, down to six-player roster. They defeat the arch rivals, square the series, and continue a run of success against the Lady Rebels that goes back nearly two decades now. So there's good inside the Coliseum, there's bad, and we'll start our talk with that before we get to the Bulldogs on the baseball field. All right, what do we want to say about Ben Howland's Bulldogs other than frustrating, so frustrating. They sit here now starting this week, 14-10, and 5-6 and six overall in the SEC. They've slipped under 500 in conference play for the first time this season, by the way. They've lost three straight games, six of their last eight games, and they remain winless on the SEC road. Other than that, no, we won't even try to be cute and say there's anything really good to say at this point. It's a pressurized point for Ben Howland's team. Then again, what would a February be without Bulldog basketball trying to ride that proverbial NCAA tournament bubble? The problem is that the team, which uh, was occupying a pretty decent bubble spot until um, the last week, is now in most popular projections a whole level farther away, as in not even in the next four out. Now, you can take those projections as seriously as you want. The serious, obvious factor that you can see is State is in a losing slump, which Ben Highland talked about. They've got to first snap the slump. Then they've got to start winning some more games, and the right kind of games as well, if they even want to think about NCAA tournament play. And yes, we'll keep thinking about it, even though it gets tougher and tougher. There are seven regular season games left over three weeks. A quick stretch here where they play four of them in just a little over a week thanks to that rescheduled trip to Missouri next Sunday. But, you know, it's just getting difficult to think of this uh, midweek trip to Alabama as anything but a must-win for the Bulldogs for multiple reasons. Yes, that's putting a lot of pressure on the game, but frankly, the Dogs have put themselves in a super-pressurized situation. They lost to LSU over the weekend, another winnable game that got away. Yes, the Tigers are a good team. It would have been a minor upset, but once again, Mississippi State was in position to beat a team on the road. Once again, Mississippi State failed to make plays in the last quarter. I know they play halves, but ride with me on this one. The last quarter of the game, and they let it get away. So now they're in this slump again. Ben Howland himself used the word slump, so that's not just your reporter talking. They've got to snap that first. Okay, obviously. You've got to win a game to start anything, but more than that, you've got to win a game to stop the slump. And without, again, putting just terrific pressure on the Alabama game, yeah, I I really believe at this point that if they don't pull off a victory in Tuscaloosa this week, tall task admittedly, but they've got to win this one, snap the slump, but get something going to get back, break even an SEC at the bare minimum, and a chance to finish SEC season over 500. It's got to start now. If they don't start doing some things immediately, mar- margin is over. If they don't, our only postseason conversation, never mind competition, is going to be the SEC tournament. Yeah, that's not very exciting, is it? But that's how it's shaking up right now. 
They've got to defeat the Crimson Tide, another beatable team who's had their struggles of late, but uh, is also on their home court, a good team with some great wins and some confusing losses, another opportunity for State. Uh, realistically, I think Mississippi State needs to win at least 10 conference games, possibly even 11, but let's just say 10. That leaves you two games margin over the rest of the schedule. That's cutting it really close because one of those games is Auburn. And watching the Tigers play this season, it's hard to think of State, with its own style of play, competing with Auburn any kind of successfully. Um, I know that sounds a little negative, but I'm sorry, just calling it like I see it at this point. So let's say that margin's you know, erased. You've got to win six of the remaining seven games, probably. Bare minimum, five. You do that, you're 10-8 and eight SEC. Everybody seems to believe that 10 is the minimum, given the rest of the Bulldog regular season schedule, to earn instability favor without, of course, going on a great big run at the SEC tournament, which State can certainly do depending on bracket and seeding. But that, too, depends on winning games right now. <laughs> they played themselves into just a major lurch by losing those winnable games. Now, list two. Alabama is necessary in another sense. State has one quad one win on the whole season. That's beating Arkansas back in January. The Razorbacks were not in the top 50 then NCAA at the time. They are now top 30, I believe. So State's got a quad one win after the fact. Still counts that way. Beat Alabama, you've got two. It doesn't make up for some of the losses, but it does give you a chance to move up some in your own net ranking, which as of today I believe was 56 for the Bulldogs. That's not even close to NCAA tournament range in most cases. And the four squads, I'm sorry, three squads and four games that you play in after Alabama, they'll do little to nothing to improve your net ranking. That doesn't make them any less necessary to win, but it does put this week's game in a much more important perspective. I simply believe State has to win at Alabama. I could spend the rest of this show dissecting, okay, honestly, shredding the LSU loss and the trend it continued. Let's just suffice it to say State was in position to win again on the road, again let the game get away. Last week I wrote in a piece for Dog's Bite, Gene's Page, kind of proud of the line, in fact, that if the movie line about coffee is for closers, is true, then there's a whole lot of Bulldogs who are severely decaffeinated these days. But there were some worrying twists in that game that kind of stand out from other losses. The backcourt shot badly overall, and your two offguards, Rocket Watts and Shaquille Moore, provided one basket between themselves. It got so bad that Howland, who had already changed the lineup by starting Watts for the first time all season, bringing Moore off the bench again for the first time all season, benched both of them late and gave Cam Carter their minutes. Only four minutes, but still more minutes than the guys used to getting. And by the way, Howland said afterwards that some other lineup shakeups aren't out of the question, but one of them would be possibly starting Carter at the point. So that Iverson Molinar, who continues to play at an all-SEC and often an all-American level, can work more off the ball and not take the beating that he does as the point man. And teams, obviously, Arkansas kind of set the theme, but other teams do it as well. Just try to put a shoulder into him, an elbow into him, all the quasi-legal things that you can do to a point guard with the ball without drawing a whistle. It, it's showing. Molinar's a tough guy, in great shape, still plays hard, doesn't relax, but the wear and tear shows. He played 38 minutes at LSU. That's a lot for anybody. And here's a guy who's taking that beating and still out there 
And I think it's showing in some of Molinar's late game shooting as well. Maybe not so much the accuracy, but the shot selection. He's having to force a few more things because maybe the legs aren't there. Maybe the, the quickness and the reactions aren't quite there. But really, if you put Carter on the floor more minutes than Watts or more, what do you help? Well, Howland praises him as the best defender of three two guards, but frankly, does that matter more than the offensive potential? I know. Like I just said, Watson Moore had one field goal this past game. They weren't much better against Tennessee. They're not shooting well in games. Howland says they're shooting well in practices, which keeps them in the lineup, obviously. But if you take a scoring threat off the floor, does that set well under the circumstances on a team that played better defense at LSU? I will give them that, certainly. But it hasn't been a great defensive team. So why would you try to upgrade the defense at the expense of an offense that shot under 40% down at LSU? I just don't see that as a, as a net benefit trade-off. Again, that's why Ben Howland's making $2 million a year, and that's why I'm making a little bit less than that to talk to you in this podcast and write for Gene's page. It's okay. I had fun doing it. Uh, positive points right now. I mentioned Molinar. Let's give Garrison Brooks credit for finding his February stride. And Howland was clear that the offense will run through Tolo Smith as long as the center is on the floor, which means healthy, which he's only been for barely half the schedule, by the way. Now, Smith's erratic presence has, it's an excuse for some of the losses, but not nearly all of them, as the Bulldogs have played clubs close without him, too, and been in position to win and failed to finish. Bluntly, whoever is or isn't on the court, if that lineup, that team, doesn't get to finishing games off soon, then this season is going to be finished as well. So we'll know more after the midweek game to Alabama, if the season really still even has hope at that point, and we'll certainly be doing a show before the weekend. Because, can you feel it? Can you maybe hear some echoes of cheers? Perhaps even smell some imaginary grill smoke? Well, you better because scrimmage season is over and the 22-22 season is just one more week away. Oh, I blended that up. 2022. Boy, for old guys like me, sometimes this, this new century, numeration, gets a little difficult. It's okay. It's late tonight. What isn't late is getting the season going. We've waited a long time. Since July 2nd, to be at Polk Dement Stadium, and boy, was it a great day then when we celebrated the national championship team coming home. And I know many, if not all of y'all, have uh, worn some item to commemorate that victory since then. In fact, I'm doing it right now with one of the three. That's right, three national ch- championship caps in my collection. It's i got the maroon one on right now. One of the black ones is also uh, downstairs, and another black one is in the car. I keep it there for display. Am I a little proud of it? You darn right I am, as should all Diamond Dogs be. So hopefully I'll be adding another set of memorabilia soon, perhaps as soon as this June. Okay, slow down, dog. For now, a new Diamond Dog team is preparing to take a bow on behalf of the championship club and start their own run at Omaha. You know, word from fall ball has been generally routine. Uh, which is good. Our colleagues Gene Swindoll and Mike Nemeth have covered the scrimmages and kept scorecards too, providing the unofficial statistics, which can mean almost anything one wishes. Now, as we know well, preseason scrimmage stats are a notoriously unpredictable, reliable indicator 
of uh, almost anything. I mean, batting averages, earn run averages, uh, who's hitting for power, who's striking out. Maybe it gives an idea of how uh, in a groove they are at this point as you go into the season. More often than not, I don't think it matters that much because, again, they're pitching to guys they know. They're swinging against guys they know. And sometimes you just see some trends develop where guys maybe aren't particularly good in the scrimmage ball. Now, let me give you an example. After the first five scrimmages, Kellum Clark was hitless with nine strikeouts. Do we doubt that Clark will be swinging productively in real games? Are these going to be in the lineup come Friday? Not a bit. Now, one guy for who the statistics are a positive indicator, R.J. Yeager. We've talked about him before. He's been hammering his teammates' pitches for power and average so far. And Mississippi State signed the Mercer infielder graduate transfer for very this, to find a starting job on the infield and uh, educated guessing. No, it's not a guess at all based on what's happened in scrimmages. He will be the second baseman come Friday. It's really the only official opening from last spring, but there's been some pretty good competition at first base. But uh, Jaeger, he has stepped right in and solved that. He will provide offense. We'll see what he does with the glove once it's real games. But, boy, it is nice to have a middle infielder, again, who can give you some real punch with the bat. Yes, we veteran Bulldogs have some um, sour thoughts about Mercer bats from a few years back. But that's okay. We've got a guy who a former Bear player who's now a Bulldog and is swinging a good stick here in preseason baseball. So, again, check those stats and check the lineups. If I had to guess, well, I'm not even going to guess. I'm just going to go off what Gene and Mike and others are reporting there and my own observations of this team. Here is my projected lineup for opening day. No, I'm not going to do a drum roll. Here they are. This is just anybody could probably guess most of it along with me, but uh, maybe let's make it quasi-unofficial. First baseman, I'm going to say Luke Hancock, obviously. Jaeger, who I've mentioned at second base, although Tanner Leggett is not out of the picture at all, that position as well. Lane Forsyth at shortstop, by the way, he had a key hit in Sunday's scrimmage as well. Uh, Cameron James at third base. Boy, you talk about a guy who made such a transformation during the 2021 season, just turning himself into a competent third baseman. And who else finds it just a little bit ironic in a fun way? that he had a glove and a throw on the last out of the season that lets Mississippi State start the dog pile. Well, I found it ironic in a great fun way. Outfield, Brad Cummins has been playing in left field more often than not with uh, Braylon Skinner playing in center field. I think they're pretty much interchangeable at those positions, both returning outfielders who've proven in left field last season they could certainly handle the job. Somebody has to step into Rowdy Jordan's position there. At the moment, it appears that Skinner has some kind of edge, but um, let's, let's be realistic. They can either play that position and swap back and forth from left to right. I'm sorry, left to center. Right field, Kellum Clark, who we mentioned earlier. He's taking over Tanner Allen's job And um, at this point. You like the power potential, and you certainly like having him to place anywhere in the order. I am not about to attempt to guess a batting order at this point, but you know that Clark and James will be in the power positions. You like what you've seen so far from what Hancock can do. Jaeger, of course, for average. I won't be a bit surprised if he's in the leadoff position. To me, Skinner looks like an ideal number nine guy. 
A lot depends on Cumbest. He hit his first home run of the preseason today, in fact. Get that power in there. Then he gives you a guy in the middle order that can really you know, boost the batting and protect guys in front of him. Oh, by the way, did we mention a guy named Tanner, as in Logan Tanner? Yeah. I mean, he is Mississippi State's obvious star in the field coming into this season. In fact, in the all-SEC coaches vote, there he was as the first-team catcher for the conference as voted by the coaches. And quite a few, in fact, regard him as the best backstop in the whole darn sport this spring. Uh, Pitching-wise, well, Landon Sims was also voted first-team all-SEC in their projections. But, see, that's unusual. He was voted there as a starting pitcher. Here's a guy who made his name as a bullpen ace, one of the best in the country last season, and even SEC coaches saying, yeah, this guy's going to be a starting rotation ace. Well, can't argue with that. So, and think about those skippers too. Well, you got to wonder what was going through SEC coaches' heads when they vote this. Don't you think that a lot of them would prefer he stay in the bullpen where they might never have to see him during a series depending on scores? Or, you know, maybe two or three times a series but only at the end of the games rather than face him for sure on a Friday or early starting series at Thursday? You got, again, you wonder what went through the coaches' minds thinking, oh gosh, we got to face him sometime. Where would we rather it be? Well, it's a great position for Mississippi State to pick. And yes, Sims did start Friday's scrimmage. Now that's the indicator because how State plays its last three scrimmages of the preseason usually gives you a pretty good idea what the rotation is going to be come the real games. So right now it looks like Sims will indeed, as we all expected, get the start on Friday against Long Beach State. Preston Johnson seems to be the leading candidate for the Saturday game. And then Jackson Fristo is um, working the third in the rotations. But that doesn't rule out a Cade Smith, by the way, who played in the Friday scrimmage against Sims. So he would certainly be, as they say, on schedule if they wanted to work him in on Sunday as a starter. So that, that seems to be the one in the guess. Oh, by the way, other guys who started over the weekend in scrimmages were Andrew Walling and Pico Cone. You hadn't heard of Pico Con? Oh, you will be soon. State now has some good starting pitching again uh, for a coach, Scott Foxhole, to work with. Some of the names you don't know. Uh, none of them are Will Bednar yet, but you know what? One of them, maybe two of them, could turn into this year's Will Bednar. And that's what's positive about the starting rotation potential for this team. Uh, we mentioned the All-SEC voting. Also, a Luke Hancock, who... He didn't make it at his first base position, but he's second base, I mean, sorry, second team All-ACC as a DH and utility player. It's funny that SEC coaches think that way because that's what he's been doing. He's he's played Summit, obviously the first base, but uh, he also is a guy that could you could swing around because somebody's got a DH, you know, perhaps it could be Tanner Leggett. I think there are probably better candidates like, say, uh, Hunter Hines and along those lines, but you got choices. You have choices. None of them are named Tanner Allen. None are named Rowdy Jordan. But you've got more selection this year, at least to my mind, than it looked like you had going into 2021. Now, here's a quirk of the coaches voting that still rubs a few wrong. Mississippi State is picked only third in the SEC West. Okay, that's obviously based on the star power lost. Uh, Allen, Jordan, Bednar, McLeod. You lose those guys, and SEC coaches besides breathing a great big sigh of relief, we'll sit there and think, yeah, they can't possibly be as good. I 
think looking at the voting, the coaches are biased towards offense because they're voting Arkansas to win the West and Ole Miss to finish second in the West. Now, here's where it gets a little <laughs> confusing. They voted Ole Miss to win the SEC, but not win the West. Uh, yes, that's a quirk of first place voting as opposed to overall team voting. But really, I think they're a little overimpressed with the likely offense the Rebels have. It's going to be good. Don't get me wrong. They're going to slug the ball. But uh, I don't know if I would go so far as to predict them to win the SEC. They might win it at Hoover. They seem to really enjoy that. But as far as making a run at the conference title, or for that matter, winning at Omaha, that's a little more the specialty right now of the Bulldogs. Now, another reason, too, about the voting for the team has to be scheduling. We'll get more into this sometime around March as SEC season looms, as into who plays who, where they play them, who, more importantly, who doesn't play who as the, in the SEC imbalance schedule. And maybe... That may be behind some of the voting so far, maybe not. That's something I need to study a lot more. But for right now, let's focus more on the non-conference games coming up and because it may well change in a few weeks and think, hmm, that team's not what we thought they were going to be, at least based on preseason play and non-conference play. Or maybe they're better. That's the fun of it. And we've got a lot of that coming up again at Dudenville Field, Polk Dement Stadium this weekend. Game times, 3 o'clock Friday. 2 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock Sunday. Oh, and to answer the annual question, I'm sorry, no. ESPN nor the SEC Network will be carrying any of these games on television. I know, uh, some of you, that frustrates many, but the calls will still be coming. We'll get the message board questions, where can I watch the game? Hail State, you know, go that route and perhaps pick up some alternatives, but no, it won't be on your regular network. Long Beach State coming to town, the dirt bags. Now, the weather forecast, it looks good through the midweek, then the rain comes in Thursday, temperatures drop on Friday, get a little bit better on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Who knows, maybe that plays in Mississippi State's favor. I mean, the dirt bags are coming all the way from uh, Long Beach, where I think uh, the only thing that gets cool is uh, the drinks down on the beach. Is that kind of a, you know, oversimplification? Yeah, probably so. Anyway... Maybe some cool conditions help the Diamond Dogs, but there'll be hot action on Duty Noble Field as they get busy. So that's a quick look at baseball. We'll be talking more about the Diamond Dogs later in the week. Uh, We plan to do a Friday show as well to preview the series more in depth as we get more information this week. We'll be talking to Coach Chris Lamonis and the players as opening day nears for Mississippi State celebration. Of course, the banner or the sign is already an outfield wall. There's a banner flying, and the new ribbon boards will be flashing the great celebration that before first pitch of 2022 is thrown, we'll still be celebrating the last win of 2021 and the national championship trophy that is now addressed at Mississippi State University. A quick talk about football. We mentioned it earlier, but um, in another show, the spring practice does not start until March 26, so we've still got a while to worry about that. Uh, we, we're not even sure where Coach Mike Leach and staff are at the moment, probably taking what a quick break they can because they've got through the February signing period. Relax a little bit, make their plans. As to those who wonder why it's starting so late, spring break on the Mississippi State campus is the middle of March during the Princeton series with baseball, in fact. So Leach would rather wait until spring break is done, then start practice and not have to interrupt it midway 
because the spring game will be on April 16th. We should be getting a schedule soon for the football Bulldogs and their practices, which are open, what's there to be observed, what media can report on directly. So that news will be coming out at some point. I don't know about this week because everything's so busy getting baseball started. But when we get that word, we will let you know as well. And certainly if you can observe anything live because it's an interesting spring setting up for Leach and the Bulldogs. Well, that's our doghouse for today to start this week off. Oh, and let me again comment. Congratulations to Coach Doug Novak for defeating the Rebels with your shorthanded Lady Bulldogs. Always good to get another one against those people up to the north. From the Doghouse, part of the Believe Podcast Network, this is your host, David Murray. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.